Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mental Matchup, a podcast where we hope to shed light on one of the hardest competitions an athlete will ever face, the matchup against their own mind. Today, I am joined by Emily Perrin. Emily is a mental health therapist and mindfulness and performance coach who currently works with athletes and organizations through her own company, Perrin Wellness and Performance. As a former Division I soccer player at the University of Virginia and Division I soccer coach at the University of Pennsylvania, Emily knows firsthand the pressure and demands that today's athlete face. Emily is currently in Baltimore, Maryland, but she works with athletes all over the country in addition to serving as the director of the Medical Advisory Council at Morgan's Message. I am beyond excited just excited, ecstatic, humbled, honored, all of the above to have Emily on the podcast. We spoke on one of our first ever episodes about mindfulness, and I'm really excited to be able to have Emily back on to talk not just about mindfulness, but really about her her whole mental health journey up until this point and kind of the influence and impact that that has had on her current trajectory and her current roles. And and when you hear Emily speak, you can just feel the passion and the love for, you know, helping to support these student athletes and, and for what she's experienced herself. I am also incredibly honored that she is, you know, involved so heavily in Morgan's message and working with her in different capacities has been incredible. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear this episode. I do want to kind of give off a little trigger warning. Um, There is mention of suicide, suicidal ideation, self-harm, anxiety um, in this episode and and just get that out there so you all have a choice whether or not you want to move forward with listening. But I personally found this conversation to be incredible. So with that, let's get into it. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the Mental Matchup. I am so excited to have you on. I you came on, oh my goodness, two years ago, two and a half, way yeah. back when. And I feel like the podcast has changed so much since then, but also more importantly, like you have done so much. Um, so I'm excited to have you back. Yeah. Let's like kick it off by telling the audience a little bit about who you are, where you are and what you do. Okay. Yeah. Super excited to be here. Um, so yes, obviously my name is Emily. Um, I am a therapist, a mental health therapist. Um, my background is in clinical social work. So I got my master's in social work. I graduated, um, over a year ago and, um, really transitioned into this space of being a therapist, um, by way of kind of mindfulness and performance coaching. So I have had my business, Parent Wellness and Performance, for about five years, which is so crazy to think about, um, doing mindfulness training uh, with elite athletes all over the place um, and got into that through being a former Division One coach. I coached soccer at the University of Pennsylvania 
and um, played soccer at the University of Virginia. So I graduated in 2012, got right into coaching, thought that that's really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, become a head coach. And very quickly found, oh my gosh, like I want to work with athletes, but in a different capacity. So that kind of launched me into leaving coaching, getting into the mindfulness space, becoming a mental health therapist and moving in the space that I am now. And obviously I am the director of our medical advisory council here at Morgan's Message, which is um, such an honor. Amazing. You've done, I feel like you've done so much in such a short, I mean, short as, you know, subjective, but like a short period of time. Um, you're just a wealth of knowledge. I, I want to take us way back to young Emily. Mm-hmm. What, what was growing up like? What was, what kind of role did sport play in your life and in, in like your, your journey kind of through yeah. college? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sports always been a massive part of my life. I mean, uh, many people don't know this, but my dad, you know, for the first eight years of my life, my dad was a college basketball coach. Um, He coached uh, basketball at the University of Virginia. So, I mean, I grew up in college sports. Um, My dad uh, also has a PhD in sports psychology. So from a really young age, I, I was embedded into the world of sport and coaching and sports psych. um, And yeah, I mean, was always kind of doing a, I mean, I played a bunch of different things. Actually, soccer was not my first love. Swimming was, I was a really competitive elite swimmer and um, really just got burnt out, honestly, by the time I was 13 and pivoted over. But um, yeah, I mean, sports have been such a massive piece of my life and, you know, kind of coupled with that, unfortunately, from a, also a very young age experienced quite a bit of trauma um, and you know, through, through childhood, through adolescence and high school, and, you know, even through college, like that manifested in a lot of different ways, really chronic, chronic anxiety, panic attacks that, you know, if we look back and I've talked to my family about this now, like we just didn't know as much about mental health that we do now. Right. Like we really, what, was panic, right? Panic attacks as a kid, right? Um, we just didn't know. And um, yeah, I think that just kind of morphed as I continued to be a really elite athlete. Um, just really, really struggled. And we can kind of pivot into my mental health journey if that feels okay. But um, yeah, you know, and I think this is this is what so many I think athletes face, right? Is this kind of double standard of Okay, so if we're a really elite athlete and we're successful and we're playing at places like Duke and Virginia and, you know, Penn and all these places, right? Well, then we're not struggling. And that's just not true. We, you know, two things can be experienced at the same time. And I just really, I mean, through college, past college, right, into my, you know, mid-20s, yeah, just really struggled with with a lot of things, Um so yeah, I don't I don't know where you want to take it from there, but <laughs> no, no, I I think that point that you just kind of made really resonated with me. Like I know at my darkest moment, I was like, I have all these things externally. Like I'm a Division One lacrosse player at Duke. I'm one of the hardest ma- like majors. I have friends. Like all of these things are going really well, but mm-hmm. why is it that I feel like there's a rain cloud over my head every day and I don't want to be here? Yeah. And I think like that's something like with mental health that I think is getting better but it's like we 
I think we jumped all these conclusions with people of like, well, they have everything. They must be fine. Or like, well, why are they, you know, they have all the money or they have all this or, and I'm like, people are really struggling internally because external things like don't bring you like the internal joy that you think it will. Like, I think Mm -hmm. like Jim, Jim Carrey has a good quote. That's like, I wish everyone in the world could experience like full success, full fame, like all the wealth that they could ever imagine because then they'd realize that like, even when you think you have everything, you're still, it's not going to bring you that like internal Mm -hmm. happiness, um, which I think is a hard, a hard thing to learn. um, And no one like teaches you that. Like I think society, society like rewards the external versus the internal. Um, You kind of touched on this a little bit, but I always like to ask my guests, like what, what was the mental health conversation like when you were growing up, if if there was any? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So, um, you know, um, <laughs> mine might have been a little different just because of the severity of what I was experiencing, um, you know, and I, I do share this. We are going to talk about uh, suicide and suicidal ideation and self-harm. Um, you know, I spent about a decade navigating um, some pretty severe self-harm. Um, and to the point where, you know, my family knew about this, was cued into this, um, which is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I was able to, or my parents were able to find me mental health help. Um, you know, I attempted suicide at the age of 16 and my parents put me in inpatient psychiatric care, which, um, you know, quite literally saved my life. Right. Um, and so, I think at that point for me and for my family, that was a really life-changing experience. We were a family and, you know, we still, I think if you asked anyone in my immediate family, like they'd be perfectly honest about this and that we really struggle to talk about things. And I think that's a lot of people because mental health is so hard to talk about. Um, You know, that really, my experience really changed my family um, and I think really changed the trajectory for us to be able to be a little bit more vulnerable and to talk about things and to talk about how to support each other. Um, but it was really hard and um, it certainly didn't, it didn't perfect anything in my family. We still continue to really kind of struggle with it at times, but I would say that we, we did talk about it, right? We we were forced to talk about it because of that. Um, but I would say in the larger, you know, sport community, right? It it wasn't talked about. It wasn't addressed. And if I think back to my college experience, particularly, we had nothing. We had no resources. I don't remember. I mean, I, I remember vaguely there being talk of a, you know, support person, a sports psych on staff, but like no one on my team went to see him. He was not coming and, um, doing sessions with our team or anything. It was mental health was not a conversation that was talked about. And, um, you know, I think, being someone that really struggled with that and was actively struggling with that in college, it was difficult, right? It was like this very taboo thing that I was really struggling with. It was really, you know, kind of um, impacting a lot of my experience, yet I had nowhere to go, right? I mean, I had my my therapist, right, that I was talking to and my family, but like it, it was still taboo. We didn't really talk about it. It was not an open conversation by any means, 
there was not support, there were not resources. Um, so I kind of had a, an, an, I would say an interesting experience with that, um, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, one thing I'd be fascinated to hear about is just how like the intersection of deciding to play a collegiate sport while really struggling with your mental health in high school and feeling kind of all the pressures and ultimately like how you decided on playing at UVA and, and kind of like the different pieces of that decision, knowing that, you know, you went inpatient at such yeah. a young, such a young age during like prime yeah. time as well. That's a, that's a really great question. And I think that leads to like an overarching like lesson that I've learned about mental health, which is that like none of this is a destination, right? And we need to understand that all of this ebbs and flows and nothing ever stays the same. So even for those of us who have really struggled and navigate, I mean, if you look at just like, let's just take anxiety or let's just take depression or let's just take suicidal ideation, right? Like all of those things, A, occur on a spectrum and then B, like they're constantly changing, right? Nothing ever stays the same because no two days are the same. And so for me, you know, I got out of inpatient, um, you know, that was the end of my junior year of high school. And I had an amazing support system and I was doing really well and things were good. And, um, I was getting back into a rhythm. And so in that sense, right, we, we find very quickly that like mental health, again, ebbs and flows, there are ups and downs. And there have been times throughout my journey, right. And my healing journey where, yeah, things are really not okay. And it's really hard. It's hard to do the basic things like get out of bed and get through the day. And then there's been other times where I'm good, right. I feel good. And, and again, that's, that's the human experience, right. For any of us knowing that we all have mental health and it ebbs and flows. So, you know, I think there was definitely a point in my journey in high school with a lot of the, you know, going to inpatient and kind of <laughs> coming out of that and really trying to do the work to get to a good place. Um, I'm not really sure there was ever a moment in my journey where I totally put college soccer off the table. Um, you know, it was very much something that I always saw in my plan and I'm kind of one of those people. And I, I do consider myself a really resilient person. Um, I knew that I was really going to be able to get myself to a place where I, I could do it all right. I could manage and navigate my mental health while also playing college soccer. Right. And I think that's so possible. Right. I felt very empowered to do that stepping into, um, my senior year. And just to clarify, I actually went to the University of Vermont my first year, and then I transferred back to UVA. Um, and I I think, again, it's, you know, and any of those that are listening that are either college athletes right now or former college athletes, that's a journey in itself, right? Again, no two days are the same. Um, no two seasons are the same. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of ups and downs. And so knowing that our overall well-being, but then also our mental health and well-being are going to ebb and flow with that. And I think so much of that journey, right, is like helping athletes be more resilient all around so that they can handle the ups and downs. Um, and you know, I didn't by any means have a, a college career that I planned or that I wanted to. Um, and I think a lot of that was, you know, mental health for sure, but a lot of other factors, right? I, I 
had two significant injuries, right? I had an L4, L5 fracture in my spine for about two years, um, which is, you know, just extremely, extremely painful trying to just navigate that and also work your way back from that. And then I tore my ACL. So, you know, it's just one of those where I, that decision for me getting back to kind of your question is like, it, it wasn't really ever a question in my mind, right. Of whether I could do it or not. It was just, you know, how was I going to do that? And it's particularly once I got out of inpatient in 11th grade, my junior year and kind of headed into the summer of my senior year, also the recruiting landscape has changed drastically, right? Like, um, you know, I did not commit until, uh, like September of my senior year. Um, and that wasn't crazy. That wasn't uncommon. Like it, it, the, the recruiting landscape has changed drastically. So my journey might be completely different if I was doing that now. Right. Um, but at the time it was, yeah, it wasn't really a question. And I really knew that, um, I just kind of needed to get to a place where, um, yeah, I felt good. I felt solid. I had a good support system. Um, I knew how to navigate it. And I think I did that pretty well. Yeah. Did you, was there anything that you were like very particular about making sure you kind of had set up going into college, like knowing that you were leaving home in terms of like, okay, I have my therapist appointments these days. I'm going to call my parents. Like, how did you kind of build your support system out to help? I feel like manage some of the week to week day to day. Does that question make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is, you know, I certainly like I wasn't perfect at it. And I think that support system piece is why I do what I do today. And I think it's such a we know, you know, support, connection and community are like the most important things when navigating mental health, right? It's not actually, um, you know, the X's and O's of like the specific treatment you're getting or whatever, right? That can be really helpful, but we, we know, right. That just support, even if it's just one supportive person in your life, right. Um, can be so impactful in someone's mental health journey. So I wasn't perfect at it. I mean, again, I think because of my own journey and kind of going through what I did, um, you know, the reality is, is like, I was, um, self-harming at the age of 13. So by that time, and by the time of getting to college, you know, my family was pretty, um, pretty dialed in. And again, we weren't perfect by any means. Um, but I think, you know, this support piece is really important and something I talk to like a lot of my athletes and my clients about is like having what's called an SOS list. Think about like what SOS means, right? It's like save our ship. So establishing, and I think this can really be really helpful heading into college or even just heading into like really hard times. Like interesting enough, right? We're headed into holiday season, holiday season, like for many people can be really, really challenging. Right. And so having that SOS list, right. That like kind of one to five people, like keeping it pretty small, um, that, you know, you can just lean on, right. And lean on in a way that they know what's going on you have good boundaries around that and they actually support you in the way that you need, right? So whether that's just having someone to listen to, having someone to text, 
having someone that you can pick up the phone and call. Um, you know, and I, I would say I had those people, um, during that time and, and headed off to college. Um, you know, I, I think that is such a, an important piece of life, but also navigating mental health. I kind of strayed from the question, but no, that was great. I, I think also what I want to go on like a little tangent with you on is, is the key term boundaries with people. Mm -hmm. I, I think like when, and I've, I've struggled myself and I've like, you know, maybe sometimes not leaned on too much, but like has, haven't necessarily respected other people's I don't know, peace of mind. Like, I I don't know the right term to give it. I've watched other people kind of cross boundaries and it can weigh really heavily on those who love you and try to, are trying to support you. Mm -hmm. Do you have any like tips, tricks, pieces of advice for those like trying to set those boundaries where they are having these relationships? They like have someone to call on their SOS list, but they're also finding that middle ground of like, okay, here's where I need to lean on them. And then here's where actually after this point, I need to go talk to my therapist or I need to go do something else. Cause I think Mm -hmm. that's very challenging. Yeah, it is. Boundaries are, I mean, (laughs) I mean, we could talk for years about boundaries. Boundaries So hard. Right. And every single human on the earth is going to, um, have a relationship with boundaries, right? Because we don't live in isolation. So I think for me, um, and I'll, I'll speak really from my, myself first, right. In my own experience, um, you know, boundaries for me has been, and the the one thing I also want to really preface this with is that like, we have to remember that we our relationship with boundaries and our either ability or inability to create boundaries um, does not, that responsibility doesn't lie on just us. And here's what I mean by that, right? Is we understand boundaries by way of our family unit, right? And growing up in our environment. So if we grow up in a family with parents or siblings, right? Or even, you know, some people grow up with grandparents, whatever, right? Whatever your, you know, environment was growing up. If we grow up seeing adults not be able to set boundaries, right? Then it's going to probably be more challenging for us then, right? As we get to a certain age to understand what clear boundaries are and to have a clear picture of, of boundaries. Does that make sense? Right. So we always have to, and this is kind of my, my, you know, again, I'm a clinical social worker. So like, I'm always thinking like anything having to do with like our health and well being is never just about us. Right. Because we don't live in isolation. It's not just a, a me issue. It's not just a me problem. Right. I'm always a part of a larger environment, larger systems, larger structures. It's also going to depend on my identity, right. How I actually identify, um, and that identity is complex in itself, right? And it's also going to depend on my lived experience, right? So let's say I had, I don't know, let's just make something up. I had a romantic relationship, right? In my early 20s and boundaries were often broken, right? That is then going to influence, right? How I can then continue to relate to boundaries after that. Does that make sense, right? So th- this is very complex, okay? Um, but I will say that, 
for me in my journey, boundaries and, and this also comes from one, a lot of therapy, right? A lot of, you know, the mindfulness work that I've done for myself personally, but boundaries always started with me, that my boundaries always start with me, right? And getting a really clear picture and understanding of what is respectful, what feels supportive, what does not feel supportive, what are my needs and what aren't my needs, right? And then being able to, with the people in your life that do feel supportive, right? Starting there, okay? Even though boundaries extend to almost everyone that's in our lives, right? Being able to have a really clear, transparent line of communication around that, right? And so for me, with my family, my support system, which is um, for the most part, right? Like my older sister, my mom, and then my best friend who I've known since I was four years old, right? So me being able to understand and gain clarity on, let's just use, um, let's just use anxiety, right? Or if I'm having a panic attack, first knowing, right? What I actually need, what I actually feel is supportive, what actually helps me, right? And then being able to communicate that to them, right? Hey, this is what is helpful. This is what is not. This is what I'm needing, right? So a lot of times that for me has looked like having a conversation when I'm in either either proactively, which I'm a huge fan of, but also in the moment, right? Learning, you know, a simple, like if I'm just feeling anxious, right? Maybe texting my sister and saying, hey, I don't need a solution. I don't need you to fix this. I don't need you to jump in or even reply, right? I just want you to know where I'm at right now so that I don't feel as alone as I do, right? So see how that, right? That, again, that awareness, that clarity starts with me, right? Really gaining an understanding of not only where I'm at, but but what I need, what does serve and support me, and then being able to actually communicate that, right? And the hardest part, right, with boundaries is that like, look, there are going to be times and people in our lives where we do communicate that, right? And they don't respect that. And so then it becomes a conversation of, okay, does the relationship need to change then, right? Is that person, and, you know, through my life, right, as my support system has changed and morphed and evolved, right? Like, absolutely, there are times where I have had to drop people, quote unquote, off my immediate support system because they don't actually respect what I'm needing in that moment, right? That's really real. And so part of this also, you know, knowing that, and I think for my my family in particular, right? My sister and my mom and my best friend, right? This is an evolution, right? This is a very much like we, we knowing that you're going to make mistakes, right? And then how do you, how do you repair those mistakes, right? Is also a part of boundaries because we're human. We're imperfect. We are going to make mistakes. Even me as, you know, a therapist at times I make mistakes, but it's also about, you know, the boundaries pieces. Well, how do you, how are you repairing that? Right. Because if you can repair that, then we're okay. Right. We can move back into, you know, a cohesive really relationship where, you know, I am feeling really supported. Does that make sense? So that's a really totally. long, long-winded way of saying that, like for me, boundaries start with me, right? Boundaries mm -hmm. start with me really having a very clear awareness of what I'm navigating, what actually supports me, what doesn't, right? What is going to be helpful, what's not. Um, and then being able to communicate that, right? Um, and taking it from there, if that helps. No, that makes total sense. And what I 
found fascinating is from the from the jump saying like our boundaries are basically based on like our family unit yeah and like I mean I know like our experiences form kind of like you know a lot of things down the line but I'm thinking about like how I set boundaries and like how I've learned to like I mean I just think it's so fascinating um the impact that experiences can have and and I feel like especially when you're younger and growing up it's like more I don't know they I feel like they get ingrained more and they're harder to like dig out and sift through and keep what works and leave what doesn't um so thank you for sharing that I I want to get it's like crazy I mean we could probably talk about that for days and days um it's just wild I do want to talk about like college and kind of just your overall, and I know we've touched on it a little bit, but like your overall experience with mental health and kind of where you were at in college and then, you know, going into ultimately coaching and kind of how, what you went through maybe impacted the way you coached and kind of guided your players. I don't know. Can you give us a little bit? Yeah. There. Yeah. So college was, um, yeah, college was hard. It was definitely, it was a lot of ups and downs. Right. Um, and you know, I think this also gets into a lot of like another like massive lesson. And, you know, I think this is like a testament to a lot of the work I do is like this, um, understanding that we are mind body people. Right. Um, and so much of our mental health is both mind and body. And the reason being is so much of that is rooted in our nervous system. Um, the foundation of our mental health and our well-being is our nervous system. And I think this can you is, yeah can you ahead. dive into really quickly, just give the audience like spark notes, like what do you mean when you say mind, body, nervous system? Yeah. So the nervous system, right, is um basically the, you know, if you were to kind of strip back our skin, right. And you're going to look at just like a, a, a human body, right. We have nerves, right. That connect our brain, right. That's living up here in our head to our body. Right. Um, and the nervous system we know is the way that we communicate, right. The mind and the body communicate and, you know, that is what I mean by mind, body, creatures, right? Um, We have a society that very much emphasizes thinking and rationality and intellect. You may have, you know, over the, the span of your life, right? Heard something like, you know, don't make decisions based on your emotions, right? Or we need to, you know, just be rational about things. We very much have a society that, that emphasizes the brain. The reality though, is that the brain and the body don't work separately. And the crazy thing is that if you actually look at the, the connection, right, the communication line between the brain and the physical body, 80% of the information, the communication that's being sent is being sent from body back to brain, right? So there is so much wisdom, so much information in our bodies. And we know that trauma in particular is very much 
stored, ingrained, embedded in our bodies, in our nervous systems, quite frankly. And so that's what I mean by particularly when we talk about mental health, we cannot talk about it as just a thinking thing, right? As just something that's living in our heads. Let's take, um, let's take anxiety in particular, right? Anxiety, if we actually look at what's occurring when we get anxious, right? When we are afraid, that's a massive physiological reaction, right? We are taking in um, some type of stimuli, whether it's external, something's happening in our world, or we actually think something, right? I mean, how many times have you thought your way into feeling nervous? I mean, every single day almost, right? And that, what that the, the brain, right? There's, without getting into the nuances of it, right? The brain registers that and it sends a physiological cascade of adrenaline and cortisol, essentially, right? It's a little bit more complicated than that, but we're simplifying it, okay? And that's why we then feel the quintessential butterflies, or we feel a little shaky or jittery or our palms start to get sweaty, right? So very quickly in just that simple example, we see that, oh my gosh, this is this is not just happening in our heads, right? We have so much wisdom in our body. And I really believe that our mental health is actually the health of our nervous system, right? The health and flexibility of our nervous system to be able to kind of respond uh, to take in and respond to the world around us. So um, all that being said, um, I think that is why for athletes, right, this is this is really important. And if I look back to my college journey, right, and this is why roughly the middle of a season, right, if you're in season, you start to see a lot of kids get sick, immune systems start to go down and you start to see some more probably nagging injuries, right? Maybe soft tissue injuries, right? Um, and that's a real thing because one, stress is at play here. And two, um, we are starting to see the wear and the tear, right? On ourselves physically, but that's also wear and tear mentally, right? And so if I go back and look at my mental health journey throughout college, I think it very much like my body physically very much mirrored what was happening for me mentally and emotionally and vice versa. Right. Um, and we know, I mean, I love the whole, like, if anybody follows me, you'll know, like, I just am coming off this huge series over the summer about recovery. Right. We know that our mental and emotional health is going to impact our physical body's ability to recover and regenerate. Okay. So, you know, again, if I look back to my college journey, I think one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that my physical body took a massive hit, right. Was because of that. And I, because I wasn't necessarily addressing it or taking care of it to the the best of my ability, you know, uh, from the span of 2011 to 2000, oh, sorry, hold on, 2007 to 2011, I had two knee surgeries and I had, again, that L4, L5 fracture in my spine, which uh, occurred over the span of like a year and a half, right? So um, I had what's called a PARS defect, which is um, essentially like if you're looking at the spine, that L4, L5 vertebrae, you know how the, if you're looking at vertebrae, they're like little wings. Um, you know, I had the left side fracture 
in the fall of 2008. And then the right side fractured in the fall, or I should say summer of 2009. So like over the course of a year, right? Uh, my, my spine was fracturing. Um, so, and again, that is some of that, you know, as I've talked to doctors and a lot of people, like some of it's anatomical, right? Some of it's, um, you know, the load you're taking, right? Impact all the above, just how that impacts the body. But I needless to say, right. I'm getting back to this kind of mind body piece because I think it's really important. We understand that like everything for an athlete is intertwined, right? Our mental and emotional health is constantly playing off, um, our body and vice versa. And I just think that that's a really, that was a really critical piece of my own journey. And it's why, again, I, I do what I do. Um, and I think, you know, now at 33, it's one of the reasons why I am healthier, physically than I've ever been, right? Because I really understand that. I understand the relationship between my mind and my body. And therefore that's the foundation of how I can actually take care of my mind and my body, mental health being included. Totally. I think what's really fascinating that I, it took me like graduating and I wish I knew this in college and even in high school was like the worst case scenarios I always thought up in my head and like could feel on my body it took me so long through like meditation therapy to be like, wait, if I can think of the worst case, like, let me think of the best case. Like, how do I feel when I hit this? Or how do I feel like after practice, like in visualizing kind of like, do I feel good because I got to do two hours of like something that I really love to do? Like, or do I feel like tired because I have homework and this and that? Like, I feel like the mind body connection when you flip it on its head and are like, how can we really use our mind to like help impact our body in a positive way? And like, to your point I, of like stress and whatnot and mindfulness, I think it's so cool what the mind and the body can do. And like yeah. also very uncool when like we, you know, kind of put our bodies in like, like I think the immune systems is like a good example. Like you can, I can tell when I start to get sick, I'm like, oh shit, that's my body telling me like something's off. And it's mm -hmm. not necessarily cold. Like it's not necessarily like external. It's normally like my internal because my body yeah. is fighting against stress. And so it's mm -hmm. so worn down that like my normal state of equilibrium that's right. naturally going to fight off these things is down. So I need to figure out how to bring that up. And mm -hmm. it's not like me the vitamin C helps. Right. But I'm like, I'm more so I'm more yeah. so I'm like, okay, like that's a bandaid. Like, let's like yeah. actually get to the root of this. Um, mm -hmm. I also think what's so fascinating that I've tried to put into place in the past like year is if I get, uh, when I get anxious, a lot of times I feel it in my gut and it's not necessarily mm -hmm. like butterflies, but like I'll feel kind of sick. And it's, it's a cue normally that's something isn't mm -hmm. in alignment. And so when I would get asked to go do things or kind of like show up for things, if I said yes, but my body said no, mm -hmm. I would continue to do it. But in like the past 12 months, I've tried to really listen to like, how do I feel if I say yes to this? And how do I feel if I say no to this? And if yeah. a yes is like, I feel at peace and I'm excited and I can't wait to do this, like, great. But if I say yes, and my body's like, Oh, cat, like yeah. maybe. And then I feel like your body gets sick too. I just went on a yeah. tangent, but I think it's so interesting to like listen to the different pieces and really trust. Like, I think there is something so intuitive about trusting your gut, right? Like, yeah. oh, go with your gut instinct. Like, mm -hmm. I think 
I don't know. Makes yeah. sense to me. No. And right. So I think that gets that piece of like, again, like we're such a society that is like, oh my God, like who cares about feelings, right? Like let's go, <laughs> you know, like reason and intellect and right. But again, you're, you're hitting on that piece of like, well, oh my gosh, like there's so much power in being able to really feel that. And what I will also say, right. And really normalize is that many people who have experienced trauma or have experienced prolonged mental health challenges, like that ability to trust the body and that kind of like intuition and gut feeling is, can be very skewed. And so what I will say is like, and this is a piece of like, especially as I got into kind of my early twenties is like my intuition and like my ability to trust my body was so off because I had been so dysregulated for a really long time. So I think that's another piece. Right. And again, you know, this is why so much of what we're seeing with like newer trauma intervention is we work with the body, right? We mm-hmm. don't work with the the mind. Or, I mean, we are working with the mind, right? But like the thinking and the rational reason, right? Like we have to bring the body back into regulation, right? And then we can start to move back into that relationship of being able to trust ourselves and trust our gut and trust our intuition. And so I would say like, yes, you're hundred percent right. Right. And also for those of our listeners that like really struggle with that, I want to normalize that. Yeah. I would just now at 33, am I functioning in a place where like, I can trust my intuition and my gut. It can take a really long time. Um, and so, you know, and again, I, I like the, what we're talking about, right. Is essentially this m- mind body connection and just speaking to the power of that is just so, I mean, it's, I think if more people understood that, right. And this is something that I'm so, this is again, why I do the work that I do, right. If we actually educate, right. And then empower kids through tools, skills, practices, right. That can help them understand this and help them really establish a relationship between their mind body connection. Wow. Just like, think about the, what we're doing there proactively in terms of helping them take care of their mental health, right? Like just, it's huge. We are going to take a quick break and we'll get back to Emily in a moment. I'd like to take a second to talk about Morgan's message, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Morgan's message was founded in July of 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers, who was a beloved sister, daughter, and fiercely loyal friend. Morgan's message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. We aim to expand the dialogue on mental health by normalizing conversations, empowering those who suffer in silence, and supporting those who feel alone. To find out more, to follow along, or to get involved, head to morgansmessage.org or find us on Instagram at morgansmessage. Let's get back to Emily. We talked a little bit about college and I want to talk about your coaching career. And is that kind of how you pictured life 
going? You know, like, was it, I'm, I want to play collegiately. I want to coach collegiately. And ultimately like that's, and, and I think with you particularly, like, and maybe I shouldn't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it feels like you really love to help people succeed. Like you love to help people grow. And is that when you look back kind of where the drive to coach came from or. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, you know, I think in many, probably many athletes resonate with this. Like I was, co- well, one, like I grew up with a dad for, uh, that was coaching. Right. So like, I, again, I, that's just something that was so like normal to me. And I, you know, I mean, I started working in coaching camps at 14 years old. Right. Cause that's how, you know, for so many of us, like that's a way to make money. That's a job. Right. And like, it's easy. Right. You know, I was working day camps at 14, like for, you know, five and six year olds. Right. And it was like, Oh, great. I, you're telling me I get to show up work camp and just like play soccer all day. Absolutely. Right. I'll do that. So, you know, I had been coaching from a pretty young age, to be honest. And, um, you know, my, the spring semester of my, uh, senior year at UVA, I was, I only had two classes. I was taking two classes, Tuesday, Thursday, my schedule was a joke. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to pick up, I picked up a, a kid, you not a U 11 boys team and, um, just started coaching. Yeah. I knew I always wanted to because of my dad. Um, and I knew from working camps, like I was good at it. I knew, I knew I could relate to kids. I knew I, I was really good at being able to find my voice. Um, I think again, given the fact that like, that's what I saw from a very young age in my dad. Um, and I, I mean, to be fair, I loved it. Like I loved to coach. And so, yeah, I, I knew that that's what I, I wanted to at least try. Um, I didn't know at the time when I graduated college, whether I was going to go back to school, whether I was going to, um, you know, I, I didn't know, but I knew I wanted to, to have coaching be a part of it. And then the job opened at Penn uh, and I took it honestly, because I was still living in Charlottesville at the time. And I was like, if I don't take this job, like I may never leave Charlottesville. So I gotta go, I gotta go experience something new. So I took it, uh, you know, and, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think for my first like two years of coaching, I, I did, I loved it. Penn fantastic. I mean, Philly's fantastic fantastic city. It was, I was so young. Like I was like, Oh my God, this is great. I'm experiencing life. Right. Um, coaching doing, I mean, I was coaching soccer for a living. Like I loved it. And I truly genuinely loved our girls. I am still so close with so many of my players from my time coaching at Penn today. And it's amazing. Um, but what I found really quickly when getting into coaching was like, I didn't, I mean, I I love soccer, but I didn't actually love the X's and O's recruiting. I didn't love. Right. And that's a lot of what you're doing as an assistant coach. Um, what I loved, what brought me so much joy, right. was like the off field connection, right. Just the conversation and the talking and like checking in with players. And like, that was a lot of my job. Cause I was a second assistant, right. Like I just genuinely loved that. Um, and you're right. I loved helping, you know, and at Penn, right? Like, and I'm not saying this isn't the case for other programs in the country, but like, you know, at Penn, we literally had, you know, players that were like going to go on to solve cancer, right? Like our kids were so brilliant. They were so smart. They were so, they were so amazing. Right. And I just loved being able to like sit with them and contribute to like their, their day in any way. And so that's really, that kind of coupled with also really seeing 
the lack of resources, right? The lack of conversation, the lack of, you know, attention to overall well-being and mental health. Um, that was kind of like when I left coaching, I was like, man, hmm. And when I left coaching at that time, I didn't have a, a, a direct path, right? I didn't know that I was going to dive into this work. It was really after I left Penn that, you know, again, my mental health really suffered. I kind of had a little bit of an identity crisis. I was in a relationship that, um, you know, I, I thought was going to be forever and it wasn't, and it, it just kind of a culmination of a lot of different things. And, um, I actually landed in inpatient again, you know? And so again, we're seeing just this, like, you know, kind of ebb and flow of, of mental health. And there was still a lot of things from, you know, my childhood that I hadn't processed. And, um, yeah, I was just, I was in a really dark place, like a year after I left coaching and, um, that's really when I, I got into mindfulness. Um, and I started just doing a lot of research and going to yoga and, um, you know, that's maybe two or three months into, you know, really religiously kind of committing to getting on a yoga mat and finding breath work. And I'm such a, like, you know, I'm such a reading podcast book junkie. I'm like, I was like, I'm just going to order everything I can about mindfulness and meditation. I'm just gonna start reading and, um, yeah, that's when I was like, huh, there's something here. Like, what if, what if I had had some of these tools and skills when I was an athlete? What if I had had them as a coach? And that's really where I was like, you know what? Holy crap. I think I got something. Um, I'm just gonna, you know, dive in head first. I'm going to go get my yoga teacher training. I'm going to go study meditation. I'm going to go back to school, all the above. So, that's kind of the the journey there. Um, you know, and, and people ask me all the time, they're like, do you miss college coaching? I'm like, no, because what I loved about college coaching, I get every single day. Right. I, I get, I get that and more right. Um, from the, the connection and the conversation and the, just watching kids, uh, you know, navigate, the full depth of life, right? That's just so fulfilling to me. So no, I don't miss coaching, right? I don't miss living out of a suitcase for months on end, being on the road recruiting. Like, I don't miss that, no. Um, Cause I get everything out of college coaching that I loved every single day. I think that's so inspiring and, and I'm gonna land the plane, but I'm gonna like, I think, I, I went to the Taylor Swift movie last night and I saw her in concert and something that stands out to me about Taylor that like makes me tear up honestly because sometimes I am like envious is like you can tell when someone is in their passion and they're doing what they love they have so much energy and they're like all in and I would equate that to like what I see with you and your business and working with these athletes and getting the updates and talking about Morgan's message and how do we, you know, reframe like validation, safety, choice for our, our social media and, and whatnot. And, and yeah. it shines through and it's very, I don't know. I, I love that you didn't get here linearly. Like it's yeah. very much so um, all these, <laughs> all these squiggles, all these ups and downs. And yeah. I think that's really, really cool to see and, and to know that, you know, your passion is driving you in this. Um, 
I don't know. I I just am kind of in awe and it's very inspiring. I, I know I just mentioned the validation safety choice thing, and this can be another tangent, but can you kind of walk the audience through, I don't know, that lesson that you taught me about? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a huge one. So um, to validate something, right, means to kind of acknowledge that it's true. At a fundamental level, everything we feel as humans is valid. We do not ever get to tell another person that how they're feeling is wrong. How we feel is how we feel, right? So this validation piece um, is really big. It is what allows us to actually accurately and efficiently navigate our experience, navigate our mental health, right? Excuse me, because what happens a lot of times, if you're anything like me, and I think throughout my mental health journey, I spend a lot of time feeling anxious and panicked and depressed, quite frankly, and then following that up with, I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. I don't like feeling this way, right? And we we end up invalidating our experience. And then there's there's like this conflict, right? And so then we can't actually give ourselves this space to navigate what we're going through, right? The other problem is that many of us, whether it's around mental health and how we're feeling or other things, right? We go to other people to seek validation. More often than not, we end up getting invalidated, right? Because other people, either they don't understand, they don't agree, they don't like it, right? And so this is why I'm a huge proponent of like, one, self-validation. How do I validate myself so that I can actually attend to support myself and move with and in my experience, right? But then also helping people, whether it's teammates and I'm working with a team or coaches, right? Uh, for their athletes, like helping them understand that actually validating, right? How people are feeling is the cornerstone of mental health, right? We do not have to like, agree with, or fully understand in order to validate, right? But we have to come from a place of validation because that is what allows us to actually begin to navigate our experience, right? Validation is a massive part of safety. Safety is also extremely important for navigating mental health, right? Um, safety is a very complex, multifaceted issue. Safety is very much going to depend on a person's lived experience, right? We talked about this earlier how a person identifies, right? And then also the environment, the systems, the the culture, right? The family dynamic that they are a part of, right? So we do not actually get to define what is safe and what is not safe for another individual. We don't. And so this is why I think it's really important for really anything we do in life, right? To acknowledge that, you know, especially if we come into group settings, group spaces, like we can't actually ensure a hundred percent safety. And this is something that's getting thrown out more and more like, oh, this is a safe space. Oh, this is a safe space. This is a safe, safe, safe space for this. Well, it might be safe for some, but that doesn't mean that it's safe for others. Right. And so really understanding that Safety is a very individual experience. Talk about, I mean, we don't have enough time to get into like even just the nervous system piece of that, but like that's going to very much play into safety, right? And layering in this last piece of choice, right? Choice is actually also a massive piece of safety, right? And what I mean by that is um, think about it this way, right? If you go into, um, you know, a 
group setting of any sort, right? Let's just say like a group fitness class, right? And they're teaching, um, they're teaching, you and I are both yoga teachers, right? So we'll go, we'll go with yoga. Okay. They're teaching just, um, downward facing dog, right? Every time we come through a flow, right? The only option they give, the only thing they teach is downward facing dog, right? And you can't do downward facing dog, right? How does that leave you feeling? You don't, there's no, they're not giving you any choice in, you know, how to actually move through your experience in this class, right? Does that make sense? And so think about how that feels, right? For me, I know if I go into a fitness class and there's no choice, I I can, and many people can walk away feeling really defeated, really frustrated, really, um, like, like I'm not seen, right? Like my level of, you know, quote unquote yoga is not taken. It's not taken into consideration. Right. So that dynamic in itself, right. Might breed unsafety for someone. Right. So just think about that. And then moving that into like, actually like mental health space where we're talking about really vulnerable things. Like we need to understand that choice, right. Giving people choice about whether, to, you know, whether it's a downward dog, right. Or a modified downward facing dog, right. Or to talk or to not talk or to have their screen on or to not have their screen on in a zoom, right. Choices really plays off of safety always. Right. And then validation, right. Is, is such a big part of safety and, and also choice. I mean, gosh, think about this, right. Like, um, and I even, uh, you know, as a therapist, like it's really important for me to give my clients choice in what they share with me and what they don't. Right. It's not my job as a therapist to force my client to share anything about their lives. Right. Until they are ready. Right. There is all, I always give my clients choice in what they want to share. Right. And the level that they want to share. Um, and that in itself, right. Then kind of levels the playing field of like, okay, I'm in control. Right. I feel like I'm being seen and heard and therefore safe enough in this space to say what I want to say and not talk about what I don't want to talk about. Right. Um, so those are kind of how all three of those, and we could spend, I mean, we could spend like three episodes, right. Talking about that stuff, but I think they're really important for sport. I think they're really important for team dynamics, team culture. And especially as, you know, in the work we do with Morgan's message, right. As we start to have more and more conversations around mental health, right? Whether it's one-on-one, whether it's, I mean, she's social media, right? Like that's even a whole nother layer to all of this, or whether it's in Morgan's message meetings or team meetings, right? Really understanding, right? These kind of three concepts and how they play into um, mental health and someone's ability to feel seen and heard in their mental health journey are really important. That validation, the safety and the choice. Super important. Um, thank you for breaking that, breaking that down. We are just about at time. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't get to discuss that you want to chat about now? No, I mean, geez, we covered quite a lot of ground. I mean, there's, you know, this was such a great organic conversation. I love that. You know, I think for, for the listeners out there, right. Like if there's anything I've learned, right. It's that like, None of this is a destination. And I'm such a huge pro. And if anybody follows me on social media, like I just posted something the other day, like mental health is not a destination, like happiness and positivity should not be the destination here. Right. Like what we're looking for is to understand that like being human is really hard, (laughs) you know, like 
life is hard. Look at the world right now, right? This is hard. And we are going to experience a wide range of life. And that's going to come with a wide range of feelings and emotion and so much complexity. And really, right, this journey about mental health and overall well-being is being able to support yourself in that, knowing that really nothing that you feel can be wrong, right, Um, and establishing you know, support and tools and skills, right? That allow you to be a resilient human being and meet whatever life is throwing at you. I think that is what mental health is about. So well said. I do want to close with one closing question. Um, What are you most grateful for? Oh, gosh, Mm, that's a big question. Um, What am I most grateful for? Um, Connection. I am most grateful right now for connection. I think connection um, is so, uh, it's everything, right? Whether it's your, you know, immediate loved ones, whether it's, you know, just a conversation that I get to have with one of my athletes, like connection is we are, as human beings, we are wired for connection and connection, in my opinion, is the point of life um, because we are not meant to do life alone. We are meant to do life with others, um, and alongside others. And so I am so grateful that my job allows me to, to do that every single day to, to have connection and to be a a source, right. A place of connection for others. So well said, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the mental matchup and sharing, you know, your experiences. And also I feel like breaking down some bigger meteor, topics around mental health and making them very digestible yeah thanks so much for having me another huge thank you to emily for coming on the mental matchup and trusting us with her story, her experiences, her learnings, and just really sharing vulnerable moments. Um, It's not an easy thing to do, and I'm so grateful that she came on and shared it. I hope hope whoever is listening took away at least one thing from the episode. I know every time I speak with Emily, I feel like I'm always learning something, and just really grateful for her to to come on and join us. Um, if you want to get in touch with Emily, you can find her on Instagram at Emily Perrin. You can also find Perrin Wellness and Performance if you're a current student athlete, a coach, an organization who, you know, maybe wants to find out more about Emily or kind of get involved with Emily, uh, which which would be awesome. Otherwise, another huge thank you to Morgan's message for presenting the Morgan for presenting the mental matchup. Wow, words are hard today. Um, we would not be here without them. If you yourself want to get involved with Morgan's message, you want to find out more, you want to just follow along and see see what's going on, you can head to morgansmessage.org or find us on Instagram at Morgan's Message. If you listen to this episode and you're sitting kind of telling yourself, I think I am ready to share my experiences, whether it be on our written platform or through the podcast, 
please reach out to submission at morgansmessage.org. We'd love to chat with you about what that could look like. Um, we're all about normalizing conversations around mental health and very grateful for all of our past, present, and future guests. So with that, we will see you next episode for part two of Emily Perrin, where we dive into all things mindfulness. <laughs>